Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. This week on The California Report magazine, what it's like to navigate the world through your ears. A lot of stories about people who are blind are sensational. They focus on the trauma of losing sight or the triumph of overcoming adversity. You know, stories like a blind person scaling mountains or kayaking insane whitewater rapids. At their worst, these kinds of stories turn blind people into little more than inspirational tales for everybody else. But even at their best, these stories usually miss all the rich ways people who are blind experience the world. Nature is beautiful. Thinking about big subjects is beautiful. The ideas are beautiful. My life is full of beauty. I'm Sasha Coca, and this week on the California Report magazine, we're going to explore that beauty by rebroadcasting a collaboration we first aired back in 2019. We teamed up with Sam Harnett and Chris Hoff to bring us five stories from their podcast, The World According to Sound. So you're that ticking. It makes a very defined sound. We're going to start our show at a school in Marin County that's the largest of its kind in North America. It's called Guide Dogs for the Blind. People with vision loss come and live at this center for a few weeks to get matched up with a dog. The school draws blind people to California from all over the world. Athletes, doctors, musicians, like classical guitarist Iwana Gondrabor. She was born in Romania and came to California to get paired with a dog and play a few local concerts. She talked to Sam Harnett about how blindness has shaped her career. My parents noticed that I am very musical because any kind of toy instrument I had, I would make sounds that were recognizably songs. I had like this little plastic guitar with four strings. I had a, a little harmonica. I had like kind of a flute with eight keys. So a plastic toy, really like just stuff and I still have recordings of me at three, four playing these things. So then they said, okay, I guess we'll give her an instrument. So I played piano at five. My piano teacher recommended to my 
parents that maybe they should try the guitar. Her reasoning being that it's more, you hold it in your arms, it's more intimate. Let's see, what can we do? This is uh, for extensions between my fingers. So. And it's there's something creepy, like... I was born very early, at six months and a bit, and there was too much oxygen in the incubator. But, you know, thank God that uh, they didn't even think I would make it. I was like uh, less than two pounds, for sure. I was the only kid in a sighted school, so I felt very special and in some ways very respected, but very segregated also, like kind of, and then all of a sudden through music, I felt like I had a way to reach people. Tremolo is something that I, I think I'm good at, you know, when you... give this illusion of the guitar being like a bow instrument or a singer because you get that sensation of continuity. You know, so... But I also, you know, I like to play and have fun and sing and campfires and all the Cat Stevens and Queen and whatever comes up uh, for fun. Or Beatles, or you know, you know all that stuff. I might play stuff like uh, reminds me also, you know, very sunny. You know, like something that's very. Meditative, but open. I want to be known as a musician, not as a blind musician, but ideally like to play music. And when I play a concert, I hope that People just listen to the music and at some point, maybe in the beginning, of course, they'll be like, oh my God, she's blind. But then hopefully they'll forget that and they'll just have the sound. Iwana doesn't want to be known as the blind guitarist, just like Chris Downey doesn't want to be known as the blind architect. Chris is from Oakland, and he lost his sight 10 years ago. It's had a big impact on the way he thinks about and designs buildings. Now he immediately notices the way a building sounds. He says a lot of buildings sound terrible, but there is one in San Francisco whose sound he really loves. Sam Harnett takes us there. Chris Downey loves the soundscape this building creates. So, nothing special, right? Just some general bustling. 
What's remarkable is that in just about a hundred feet, this building takes you from nature to a lively market and into the hubbub of the city. If you hadn't guessed it yet, this is the Ferry Building in San Francisco. Chris Downey pays a lot of attention to sound and space. He's been an architect for 30 years, but he thinks about acoustics more than most architects. Ten years ago, he abruptly went blind. It was a spontaneous thing as a consequence of surgery to move, remove a brain tumor. Downey lost all of his sight. And then, you know, all of a sudden you're like, okay, now what? Like most architects, Downey says he'd been most concerned about what the spaces he designed looked like. I felt like I was dealing too exclusively with the visual. Now he pays more attention to how buildings sound and how it feels to be in them. Downey prints embossed building plans. All the details of the structure are raised off the page so we can feel the building. Things like the walls, stairways, and rooms. And what's different is that I, I'm thinking at my fingertip and I'm imagining being there and I'm thinking about what it sounds like as I move through the space. Downey helped design the Lighthouse for the Blind and Visually Impaired, a nonprofit community center in San Francisco. This is the reception area. Downey wanted it to sound lively. You know, if you're thinking about somebody that comes here for their first time, they just lost their sight, silence can be really scary when you're a little anxious and you don't know what's going on around you. If something doesn't make sound, Downey says it disappears for a blind person. So to make the reception area active, he suggested an open design, polished concrete floors, and wood instead of carpet on the staircase. That way you can hear people coming and going. Maybe people you can identify by their sound. When you're blind, you start to recognize how people walk in their cane taps, and so you can recognize the sounds down the hallway as somebody else passing by. Down the hall from the reception area are quiet study nooks. Panels on the hallway muffle the sound as you walk toward the nooks. Downey calls this feature an acoustic mitt. Listen to the ambient sound deaden as he walks with his cane from the reception desk to the study rooms. We're only about 20 feet from the lively reception area. There's no door, but the nook is nearly silent. A building's acoustics is important for the sighted too, even if they don't realize it. Poor sound design can make anyone disoriented, feel anxious, or struggle to have a conversation. Done well, it can encourage people to come together and talk. A well sound designed building makes you want to be in the space, and you may find yourself even actively listening to it. Which brings us back to the Ferry Building in San Francisco. It's Chris Downey's favorite way to enter the city. I just love it. And then boom, there you are. You're on Embarcadero on the Market Street and you're in the heart of San Francisco. Now we're gonna take that sonic trip that Chris Downey likes so much. We're gonna move from the bay through the Ferry Building and into the city. It's recorded so you can hear exactly what Chris hears and even where those sounds are. Now we're inside the ferry building. 
There's someone sweeping. You hear that? That's a guy making coffee. Okay, now we're in the middle of the building. Any idea what that is? It's the arrivals and departures sign flipping the times and destinations of the ferries. Now we're outside. There's a skate park up ahead. And beyond all that, the hubbub of San Francisco. You're listening to the California Report magazine. I'm Sasha Coca, and today we've been hearing stories and sounds that explore the rich ways people who are blind experience California every day. This show comes to us from Chris Hoff and Sam Harnett from the podcast The World According to Sound, with help from the Lighthouse for the Blind and Visually Impaired in San Francisco. Next, we're going to meet Hobie Wedler. He lives in Petaluma and has been blind since birth. He works as a sound consultant to help companies design sonically pleasing products. One company that I, that I love is a company called Mila out of Germany. And listening to a Mila vacuum fire up is just a beautiful sound. doesn't have any extraordinary powers of hearing. His ears are just like everybody else's. But like the architect we just heard from, what Hobie does do is pay a lot more attention to sound than most people. In fact, he's built a whole career on it. He invited Chris and Sam to his house for a sonic demonstration of the sounds that he thinks about when he's designing products. So I have a bottle of water in my hand here. There are times that actually go tick, 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 tick and pop open as you're opening that bottle. Do we want that click, 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 click when we open it? Do we want that when we open it? Or do we want that? You don't really get the tick, 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 tick. You just hear When you open this, you can feel, you can really feel those tines releasing as you lift the top off of that sour cream. But Hobie Wedler doesn't just work on opening sounds. He also helps clients like hotels and car manufacturers think about how products sound when they close. That's especially important when it comes to doors. It has a finality to it, and when it's shut and we tap it, it's still fairly hollow. So I'm going to show you three different doors and how they sound differently. A big deal is how doors sound when they shut.
Hobie's job is to pay attention to sound. But even when he's not working, he's always listening. Just like I visualize spaces, I have a sonic memory and I, I memorize sounds and how things sound when I'm around them. I grew up uh, spending some of my summers at my family's uh, small cabin up on a little lake just south of Lake Tahoe called Fallen Leaf Lake. And around Fallen Leaf Lake, not only are beautiful pine forests that the wind blows through, but also aspen trees. And aspen trees in the fall have leaves that are soon going to fall off the tree, but they rattle and shake. The best imitation I can give of that is For our next story, Sam and Chris head to a shooting range. They're waiting to meet Deb Runyon and her husband, Noel, who's blind. It's a big crowd here. I guess, I yeah, it is a big crowd. Busy. <laughs> I guess we'll have to... We put our name down for a lane. Good. Uh, yeah. Good. What do you guys got there? Cannon. <laughs> yeah, 22. <laughs> 22 rival. Huh. So how does it work? Your, your you, went bad. you put a light source on the... A few years ago, Noel decided he wanted to target shoot. He's an engineer, and he's been blind since he was a teenager. He realized he could make a gun sight that detected light and vibrated whenever it was pointed in the right direction. Here at the gun range, he attaches the sensor to a target and starts shooting. He's such a good shot with his light target that nobody asks any questions. A lot of things in our world are not made to be accessible for people who are visually impaired, which means they have to find their own workarounds. That requires ingenuity and tinkering, something Noel Runyon is a pro at. He invited Chris and Sam into his workshop. Noel's house is filled with his creations. All around the living room are shining metal sculptures made out of old computer parts. And he has shelves and shelves of electronic devices, some that he's built, like this probe that can sense light. As an engineer-type mentality, like my father, it made it really easy for me to develop things I needed. Like, I built my first light-sensitive probe, this little thing that went dwee. Have you always been a tinkerer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what got me in trouble in the first place. I grew up in Los Alamos where our dads worked on atomic bombs. So it was in our blood, I guess we could say, making bombs. And when you were a kid, did you think all that stuff was really cool? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember looking down into a uh, water-cooled reactor and seeing this blue Schoenkopf radiation glow, and it was so beautiful. Noel began making his own explosives and used them to blow up things like rocks and logs. 
the explosions got bigger and bigger. I was using very dirty stuff, and this stuff had gone up on me twice, uh, small amounts of it, when I didn't expect it, but that didn't teach me. And then I mixed up a big bunch of it in a glass jar, which is one of the worst things you can do if you're mixing explosives because the shrapnel is, and doctors can't find it, when they can't see it down in a wound. But uh, I had three pair of safety glasses sitting in a drawer at home when I had a bomb go off on me. When I came out of that, I had, uh, you know, my hands were cramped up from the bomb. I had pieces of glass in me that took years to, to get most of them out. Noel lost his eyesight in the accident. He's been blind ever since. I actually had an advantage that I had done it to myself. Uh, you may meet people with a disability, maybe where it was a drunk driver car accident or a war injury or something, and they externalize the, the blame and, well, somebody else did it to me, mm-hmm. so somebody else should fix things for me or take care of me, or and they end up being couch potatoes for their life. In my case, it was my own stupid you know, mistake. And so I had to pick myself up and, and uh, finish high school, go off to college, get my degree and stuff, and uh, not really wait for somebody else to take care of me. Noel went on to study engineering in college. He married his high school sweetheart, and they moved out to California. He put his tinkering to work as an engineer in Silicon Valley, and he still fools around with building things. It's called a Jacob's Ladder. It's a plasma arc. It's a high-voltage discharge, 15,000 volts. The Jacob's Ladder has two vertical metal rods, and when he flicks a switch, an arc of blue electricity runs up the two rods from the floor to the ceiling and then just snaps off. It's the technology behind a spark plug, for example. Noel likes to show off the big one he built to visitors. Since he retired, Noel's gotten more into polishing stones for competitions. He set up a whole workshop to cut and grind stones into ones that will catch the judge's eyes. The shape may be interesting, tactile and all, uh, and uh, blind friends that I have, I've been showing them these things, and they, they love the feel of, of the things, even if they can't picture them visually, they right. can still form a tactile image. He turns some of these stones into miniature art pieces, which line the shelves in his living room. Elegant stone birds and detailed pieces of jewelry that he's dedicated to his wife. He can't see what they look like with his eyes, but he can feel their smooth beauty through his fingertips. Our last story is about somebody who also knows a thing or two about the power of touch. Hirat Ferme is a UC Davis paleobiologist, and he studies the evolution of shells. He received a MacArthur Genius Grant, and he's written books on topics like what evolution can tell us about economics. And as Chris Hoff explains, he makes all of his observations using senses other than sight. Hirat Ferme has been blind since he was three years old. To observe a shell, he takes it into his hands. When I look at a shell first, I get a general sense using both hands what it's like. If I want details, then I start using my fingertips, mostly the uh, index finger. And if I want real details, like counting, I start using my thumbnail. 
or uh, I will use a pen. Hirat is carefully counting every little spine on the shell's surface. Each detail on a shell holds a secret. A small nick shows where a crab attacked. Growth lines tell how fast it grew. The spiral structure lets you feel how the creature burrowed into the sand. And they're all beautiful in their own way, but I look beyond their beauty and, and at their, what they're trying to tell me. Mollusks have been around for more than 500 million years, and there are tons of different species. Murexes, cones, cowries, papal mitre, mitra papalis, top shells, turbans, tutufa, periwinkles, nerites, genus tutufa, I didn't make it up, many snails that don't have proper English names, lots of... Each shell helps him better understand how they evolved, the battles between predators and prey, adaptations, struggle for survival. That evolutionary history provides insight on human history. For example, Hirat has found that for mollusks, periods of population expansion, kind of like the one that humans are going through right now, they only last a short time. The more I look at shells, the more I see that I hadn't seen before. He's written over 200 articles and books, like The Evolutionary World, how adaptation explains everything from seashells to civilization. His theories all stem from the intricate details of shells. He spends hours categorizing them all. So it's got a nice slender form with a small, narrow aperture. Narrow it doesn't opening. have much in the way of The edge of the lip is spectacular because it's obvious that this thing has kinds of tubercles. That the edges are crenulated, are so the edge of the shell is sharply, is it's got little tools on the inside of it. It's like this ridiculous spine. He says, well, I can't see. Well, so, if you look at the teeth carefully on the bottom side of the shell, the detail and the regularity is what really got me. Assistants help Hirat navigate tidal pools when he's out doing field work. And every morning, he takes notes for several hours as someone reads him the latest scientific journal articles on shells. I took a turn reading where his assistant left off. So, so she marked a page, and we're starting with an epitonium. Can I just read you the discussion? Sure. Yeah. Discussion. Epitonium falunicum is characterized by its smooth, strongly convex walls. The keys on his Braille typewriter have deep, worn grooves from years of use. This entire wall over here, these are all the notes I have ever taken of all the papers and books that I have ever read. Um, it's many thousands, many tens of thousands of publications. It's easily the largest Braille library of shell research in the world. But to the sighted, they just look like rows of identical hand-bound tomes. Which disappear on the later whorl. As we leave Hirat's office, he notices something new in a shell he's been holding in his hand. I'd never observed that before. An asymmetry in the spiral ridges. Quite striking. One more beautiful detail. It's just such a pleasure to handle an animal like this. Shells are beautiful. Nature is beautiful. Thinking about big subjects is beautiful. The ideas are beautiful. My life is full of beauty. And that's the California Report magazine for this week, a rebroadcast of a show we first brought you in 2019. 
part of a collaboration with Chris Hoff and Sam Harnett from the podcast, The World According to Sound. Their series is part of a partnership with the Lighthouse for the Blind and Visually Impaired in San Francisco, as well as California Humanities. We're a production of KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. Our show was sound engineered by Seal Muller and Brendan Willard. Our senior editor is Victoria Mauleon, and our director is Susie Racho. Amanda Font is our producer, and our intern is Hector Arsate. I'm Sasha Coca. Thanks for tuning in. This is the California Report magazine, your state, your stories. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find the link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.